Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Genesis, and let's look at Genesis chapter 1. And I dealt with this Wednesday night in the Bible study. If you watch Bible study on Wednesday night, I'm going through the book of Genesis, going through the whole Pentateuch. And let's look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 to begin with. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And everybody say amen. amen. So I'm teaching on this gender issue and what the Bible says about gender for three basic purposes. Number one, to give our young folks a biblical understanding, a rational biblical understanding of what God says about gender. Number two, I'm doing it to hopefully ignite compassion in our church that we become not so judgmental, but we become loving and compassionate. Because we hold the truth of God, we believe, right? Amen. And we hold the truth of God and the ability to help a lot of people out. Amen. And then thirdly, I'm dealing with this subject just like last week. So that if there's anybody in my congregation right now or watching online who's uh, feeling this, what they're defining as gender dysphoria, that you can really seek the Lord. I can show you there's help for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're in a totally different cultural situation right now than probably what most of you grew up in. I know it's a totally different situation than what even I grew up in, and I'm super young. But we're in a, in a situation right now that even if it's strange to you, it's not strange to your kids. Because they're in school right now, and what we started, the reason I'm preaching this whole series is what I started hearing the reports from our local middle schools and high schools. And post-COVID in our middle schools and high schools, the conversations have changed. It's interesting, the issues they're dealing with right now. So if it's foreign to you, it's not foreign to your kids. Amen. Even in the business world today, you will find somebody maybe on LinkedIn or something, and they have uh, their title and then their name. And then after their name, there may be these uh, other markers of what or who they identify as. Okay, It's a very interesting situation we're living in. Currently, there are over 70 children's programs featuring some 259 characters that are not typical genders. Okay, 70 children's programs. So if it's strange to you, it's not strange to your kids. Okay, I'm talking shows such as Blue's Clues, Disney, DuckTales, DC Superheroes Girls. Even Mr. Potato Head has now been changed by Hasbro to just Potato Head. So what I want you to understanding, understand is media is they are exposing your kids to a new mindset and a new concept that a lot of us didn't grow up in. And then this is also pushed by a certain political climate in many parts of our country. I mean, you think about in Oregon now, a 15-year-old can medically transition without parental consent. There was even a law I heard about in Scotland recently that was passed giving four-year-olds the right to alter their name and sex without parental consent. Someone in my office last week came to me and said, I took my baby to the doctor, and the nurse apologetically said, I have to ask, what gender is your baby? What did you assign the baby at birth? So today I'm going to look into the Bible 
and see what the Bible says about this. And again, not bashing anybody, trying to do it with all their grace and love because, man, people deal with stuff. We deal with stuff. Come on. We all deal with stuff. And, and there's some people out here dealing with some real issues. And I want to provide some clarity this morning. Can you say amen? amen? Matthew chapter 19, Jesus reiterated the biblical concept that was given in Genesis chapter 1. He says in verse 4, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh, so then they're no longer two, but one flesh. And therefore what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And we'll give you three things that the Bible says about gender. First of all, the Bible says God assigns gender. God is the one who assigns gender. It's an issue of anthropology, and it's an issue of anatomy, and it's an issue of common sense. God assigns gender. Gender isn't about the choice of a human person. It's assigned by God at birth. Now, transgender revisionists basically hold to an ancient pagan, an ancient Gnostic view of the human person. And that is, your body is one thing, and your body is possessed by a spirit that is a completely other thing. Your body is only a container for the spirit, and the spirit is poured into it. So, if we conclude that, that God has maybe sometimes mistakenly place the wrong spirit in your body. But as Christians, we believe that mankind comprises of body, soul, and spirit in such a holistic way that it's not good to separate these out. In fact, Hebrews says it's the Word of God that can separate soul and spirit. And I think we've had a lot of teaching just on the separation of body, soul, and spirit. But when I read the ancient fathers, that gave... Uh, way to a lot of false doctrine. We are whole people. God made you whole. Body, soul, and spirit. Sure, there's different components of the human person, but you're made in the image of God. You're made as a whole and complete person. So the transgender revisionists or theorists will say that you need to find your true inner self no matter what the outer shell seems or appears to be. So the transgender theorists say that gender is a social construct. It's a social construct. So according to one of their theorists, they say the sex characteristics of a person is born with do not signify a person's gender identity. When people have gender reveal parties, it should be rather called genital reveal parties. Because the concept of gender is a social construct, not an anatomical one. So transgender theorists also say that gender is not anatomical. It's not based upon what your body is. So one says gender identity is about one's psychological sense of self. Anatomical sex is comprised of things like genitals and chromosomes and hormones and body hair and more. But that doesn't determine your gender. And transgender theorists say gender identity can change throughout one's life. It can be fluid. Gender identity can change over time. It's not fixed. Just because you identify one way at one point in time does not mean you will always choose that identity or that your identity won't shift and evolve. 
So now we have various different categories, and you may see these in the public or your kids encounter them in school. There's cisgender, which is the term who describes a person whose gender aligns with and matches their identity at birth, their anatomical identity. Then there's transgender, and those are people who don't feel they match the sex they were born with at birth. Then there's cishets, and cishets refer to people whose gender identity and biological sex are aligned with what they were born with at birth. Then there's non-binary, which describes a person who doesn't identify clearly exclusively as male or female. Then there's gender fluid, just like you can be fluid in your sexual orientation of who you're attracted to, you can also be flexible with your gender. Then there's agender, meaning people don't identify with any gender. And then there's now the preferred term, gender expansive. Mean that we can kind of expand our horizons and we don't feel any sense of male or female. So as it stands today, there are some 72 genders that have been identified. 72 genders that have been identified. People are identifying with everything you can imagine now. And again, I'm not trashing you. I'm not throwing off. I'm just trying to bring some common sense and biblical reality to this as a pastor. God assigns gender at birth. God assigns gender at birth. The truth is that gender is not a social construct. It's not based upon a person's sense of self. According to the Bible, gender is assigned by God. It's not a sign by the way we feel. And what's really, let me just get raw and real, what's really at stake here is the identity of the human person because God has created you so marvelously. God has created you with so much in you. So much packed in you. You may be different than other people. So, come live with me for a while. We're, we all have our, we, come on, let's get out of stereotypes here. I'm just telling you, God has created you with such an, a purpose and such a destiny, such, a, such an amazing future, that Satan's goal is to come and tear that down and, and divide who you are in yourself so that your body doesn't match your psychology. And you're, it's, it's to divide you so it can stop you from being all that God has created you to be. That's what's at issue. So God assigns gender at birth. And the second thing I want you to know is that gender has a purpose. Your gender has a purpose in God's created order. Your gender has a purpose in God's created order. The rest of that passage in Genesis 1 says, God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness let him have, or let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them, and God said, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. If you read through the account of creation in Genesis... God creates sea animals. He creates birds of the air. He creates uh, every living creature on earth. And then He creates seed-bearing herbs, seed-bearing fruit trees, and seed-bearing plants and vegetables. 
everything in that living sphere is based on seed and harvest. Everything is based on seed and reproduction. Everything is based on growth and expansion. And then when it comes to the end of all of the creative process, it's like one writer said, it's like he pauses and he steps back and he looks within himself and says, let us make man. It's like an artistic pause that he stops and says, now let us make man. And it's like he pulls out the greatest of his artistry. And he throws the paint on the canvas and creates the greatest picture of all of his created order. And this creation is not just going to be natural. This creation is going to be made in his image, which is spiritual. And has the ability to, to imagine and design and dream. And to do God's work on earth and to manifest His presence on earth. He, mankind has that ability like no other part or piece of creation. And God has created you with that. And the creation is to be seen as a gift. We wonder at it. We step back and just say, God, you've created us. And I, I, it's a wonder. It's wonderful. It's full of wonder. Look at your neighbor and say, you may not look like it. But you're wonderful. And you may not look like it to yourself, but you look like it to God. You are wonderful. And what Satan wants to do is to divert your track from fulfilling who God has made you to be according to the agenda assigned you at birth. I'm going to say some things that are not popular anymore. And that is God created you to marry and have kids. Now there are exceptions to the rule. There are the Pauls who say if you want to stay single, stay single for Christ's sake and get a lot done for the kingdom. And God has ordained that for some people. And we bless you and you're using, you can do more for Christ according to Paul than anyone else if you so choose. But... God really created you to get married and have kids. I'm going to preach it to this church over here. God created you to get married and have kids. You know, you're wired that way. You're structured that way. And it's a good thing. Don't let society tell you it's not a good thing. It's a good thing to get married. Come on, look at your wife or your husband and say, it's a really good thing to get married. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. He who finds a wife finds and finds favor from the Lord. Not only a good thing, he gets favor on him from the Lord. And then children are a heritage, the Bible says, from the Lord. And blessed is the man whose quiver is full. Hallelujah. Some of y'all have full quivers and you're just more blessed. Hallelujah. Maybe it doesn't feel like it at 11 o'clock at night and you're trying to get everybody down or when you're trying to get everybody ready for church on Sunday, but you are a blessed man or a blessed woman if your house is full. And you say, well, maybe you've tried to have kids and couldn't. You're blessed as well. You can be the greatest aunt, the greatest uncle, the greatest cousin, the greatest adopted parent. You can, be, you can do so much for the kingdom of God. All of us can participate in God's created order. 
Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. So I began researching, where did this all come from? And why are we here in 2022 and we've so rapidly arrived here? And really, the culprit is the sexual revolution of the 60s. Because the sexual revolution of the 60s made the transgression of traditional sexual boundaries not simply common, but normative within society. And one of the origins of the sexual revolution has been the understanding of the self as an autonomous individual standing apart from God. So the understanding of human beings as those who can construct and create their own values. That we don't believe in transcendental values anymore, but we create our own values. And then there's situational ethics. Whatever works in the situation is the right thing. Not there is a right thing. It's whatever works in this situation. And then technology has also aided in the advancement of the sexual revolution with the advent of the pill and antibiotics. People don't have the same consequences as they used to for aberrant sexual behavior or sexual behavior outside the bounds of a monogamous marriage. So many of those risks have now been attenuated and if not entirely annihilated. And now add to that the, the politics of everything, where now the LGBTQ plus movement has placed the victims of this, what they call heteronormative society, to the center of our political narrative in America. And so we've really advanced here since the 60s at really breakneck speed, but God has a better plan. God has a better plan for you. You don't stand autonomous in yourself. You're under the canopy of God's creative care. If you don't even believe in God, maybe you're a complete atheist, you're still living under His providence. You know, theologians divide the providence of God in certain categories, and one of them is His providence over creation. So there's a provident hand of God that keeps the seas from drowning us all. That keeps the moon up in the sky at night and the sun coming up in the morning. That keeps our atmosphere the perfect condition so that you and I can live. There's a providential hand of God overseeing your life whether you believe in Him or not. H. Richard Hall says you don't have to believe in Him. You're going to find out sooner or later anyhow. He is real. God is real. And God has such a plan for you. And if God has created you a certain way, it's the way He intended you to be. But wanting to change this, Wanting to change who you are is really condemned in Scripture. Listen to me with the Spirit of grace, please. Deuteronomy 22.5 says, A woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's clothing. For all who do so are an abomination to the Lord your God. Now, I don't think he's talking about fashion and style. That's where the church has become legalistic. And if you don't fit a fashion of the 1950s, then you're breaking Deuteronomy 22. That's not what he's talking about. I think what he's talking about is someone who intentionally desires to look like the opposite sex. And they go to great extent to look like the opposite sex. And God condemns it in Scripture. Even in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he said, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. What's interesting is that term sodomite is in King James effeminate, which is malakos in Greek, which refers to male homosexuals who in the ancient world would dress as females. 
So not only is this a sinful act, but it goes against the identity God has placed in you. Which is an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. You were created in a wonderful way. Third thing I want to tell you about Bible and gender is there's healing available to everyone who is gender confused or what we call suffering with gender dysphoria. That's why we exist. Every one of us is here this morning and we came out of something. Every one of us here came out of sin. None of us were born perfect. I love it when somebody new comes to the church and you, they kind of have that feeling like, I don't know if you, if you just knew my past. I don't know if you accept me in this church. I had a guy, I had a guy come to my church one time in D.C. and we sent a, a visitation team out to visit him. He said, no, no, i got to talk to the pastor before I come back. He's got to find out everything I've done see if he wants me in that church. <laughs> guy came to my church, became one of my greatest leaders and one of my board members. Because my, my, my reaction, anytime somebody comes like that, I'm thinking, dude, if you could just see the lives of everyone in this church, you would feel right at home, man. If we could pull back the curtain and you could see our pasts or what some of us have been dealing with, I think you would feel perfectly at home. We're not here because we're perfect. We're here because we're redeemed. We're not here because we were born saints. We're here because we were all born sinners and all had to come the way of the cross. That's what the society doesn't understand about the message of Christianity. We're not just pounding people with the gospel. We're extending a hand of hope and faith and love saying, come, follow me in the way, as Acts calls it. This is the way we've all found. We all came out of brokenness and we all came out of dysfunction in one way or the other. We all came out of sin for all were born in sin. All have fallen short of the glory of God, but we found the grace and mercy and love and forgiving power of Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Let me give you some things. There's healing for you in Jesus' name. According to studies, 0.5% of the population really struggles with gender identity. And I'm not downplaying that issue of all. I'm just telling you God loves you. And God has an amazing plan for you. And you matter to God. And you matter to Fountain of Life Church. And we open our doors to every one of you. Because you're welcome in here. Come on, can somebody say amen? amen. So the Bible doesn't condemn you. The Bible condemns the, condemns the actions. Amen. And did you know that transitioning will move you further away from who you are, not closer to who you are? One man who was transitioning ended up studying the process in depth and found these conclusions from various different universities, that 20% of people who transitioned regretted it. 41% of those attempted suicide. 50% of those suffered depression. And 90% of those had significant psychopathological issues. They, were, they had trauma or they had other psychological issues that had not been resolved in their lives. So it didn't bring them to wholeness. It took them further down the road of brokenness and separation of your, of your person. Okay, There was a, a study by Brown University that came out that was repressed really by the media. And it said that the rapid increase in this gender dysphoria may be due to society. It's caused by friends, media, 
politics, peer pressure, increase in internet use, school presentations, movies. A center in London treated 17 females for gender dysphoria in 2009. In 2019, they treated 1,740. That's a 5,000% increase in 10 years. And the research on this rapid onset gender dysphoria among teens reveals the following. 63 of this study had one or more diagnoses or psychiatric disorder, such as a traumatic event, cutting, ADHD, OCD, eating disorders, bipolar. And many had trans friends, and they felt more popular once they identified as trans. 72% in a certain study when taken to a gender therapist or physician were never encouraged to explore the issues of mental health. Never. They were encouraged to take medication and proceed with gender transition. When the fact of the matter is, most teens will outgrow their feelings. They're growing up. They will outgrow their feelings. And affirmation therapies and puberty-blocking drugs to, quote, buy time only solidify the feelings of dysphoria. And, and cause, at some points, permanent infertility. And so if you have a 12-year-old who's suffering and asking questions, the solution is not to take them to a gender therapist and start hormone treatments. The solution is to love them. The solution is to affirm them as a human being. The solution is to pray. Get them in a Holy Ghost tent meeting for eight days. Get them in youth group. Get them in kids town. Get, affirm. You be the parent. Don't let the state be your parent anymore. You be informed. If your kids come home and, and they want their privacy online, baloney. They live under your roof. You have access to their phone, to their search history, to their internet usage. You have access to their friends. You have access to who you allow over the threshold of your door. Be a parent. Be a parent. Be a parent. Come on, somebody still love me in Jesus' name. This is the issue. Parent, not, the lack of parenting. And, the, and society coming in and taking the role of parents. Listen, if you have a family, God has made you a church and God has made you a school. Amen. Your home is a church and your home is a school. You teach your kids how to worship. You teach them how to pray. It doesn't mean you'll never have problems. Right. Some people criticize church kids because they think, well, they were raised in church and look how, look how crazy they turned out. Well, listen, raising them in church doesn't guarantee they'll never have problems. But raising them in church does guarantee the seed of the Word of God will be in them. It does guarantee that they have been exposed to an environment where the Holy Ghost has been allowed to touch their minds and hearts. It does guarantee that you got some scriptures to anchor to. That they that are raised in it, they will come back to it. Hallelujah. You have some anchor in them. Even if they go hog wild, God's got their number. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. You need three things. This came to me the other day. You need three things to set someone free or to be free yourself. Number one, you need the truth. This is why I'm taking the risk to preach this. Because if we never hear it, how can we ever be free if we're never exposed to the truth? 
It takes truth to set someone free. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. The truth brings light and exposes the darkness and shows you how far you are from the shore and the truth comes and rings the bell in your heart. Second, you need the presence of the Holy Spirit to come and to start wooing you because the Holy Ghost has has the perfect way of coming, reading your mail, and pulling you to the Father. That's what he does. He shows up. And he, no wonder we, you know, people avoid services where the Holy Ghost is allowed to move. Let's just have safe church where we don't have any of that. I don't want safe church. I want Holy Spirit church. I want signs and wonders church. I want to come in and hear the prophets prophesy and the teachers teach and the evangelists fire it up and the music people shout and dance. Come on, we want a full-on, full-power Holy Ghost environment. Because that is, Hans Hess can't set you free, but the Holy Spirit can set you free from everything you struggle with, every issue. Then the third thing, you've got to get to the point where you're totally dissatisfied with where you are. There has to be a dissatisfaction in your heart that says, I no longer want this. I'm tired of the struggle. I'm tired of the fight. I'm confused. I'm conflicted. Holy Spirit, help me, God. I throw myself at the feet of Jesus. And when you do that and you come to the place of dissatisfaction, God can do anything in your heart. He can show up and do amazing things. I mean, it works in the natural the same way. Maybe you've been sitting on the couch all summer long. And you've you've become a couch potato. And now you're like, I don't want to be a couch potato. I'm tired of panting for breath when I walk up the stairs. I got down in your junk drawer now. We got out of But you get dissatisfied. You said, I'm going to go exercise with Lori. I'm going to join the YMCA. I'm going to drink water. Come on, somebody. I'm going to make... You're dissatisfied with where you are. That's where you have to be in your spiritual life too. If you've got a bondage, an addiction, you're feeling... Conflicted. You say, God, I'm t- I'm, I want Jesus. I want everything that Jesus can do for me. And then when you get to that point, God's ready to say, come on, I'm ready to do everything you want in, in your life and more, and I'm going to use you as a testimony, and I'm going to bless you. Hallelujah. Give you one story, and we're going to pray. There's, there's a story in John chapter 9 where Jesus walks up, uh, and there's a blind man. And his disciples said, Lord, who sinned that this man be born blind? Because they always wanted to pin it on somebody. And Jesus said, well, neither his father or mother nor this guy. It's not, it's not about who sinned. It's that the glory of God might be manifested. I ain't worried about how he got here. I'm coming and I'm concerned about what's going to happen to him right now. Oh, hallelujah. And so Jesus heals him. Jesus heals him. And this guy is flipped out. He's completely... Fr- Blind, now he can see. Could you imagine? He's completely overwhelmed. What happens? The religious people got mad. Don't be that kind of religious person. They got mad. Why? Because it's not supposed to happen. This is a Sabbath day. And who in the world does this guy think he is to come in and mess up our religious traditions? So they called him in to question him. And he didn't even know 
anything about Jesus. They said, how did you... Come on, there's nobody been like this in history that's seen and you've been blind from birth and receives his sight. Come on. Who did this? He said, well, all I know is he's a man named Jesus. That was enough. He's a man named Jesus. Then they come back and they bring his parents in. And they said, now now you answer for your son. They said, we... They didn't want to get kicked out of the synagogue. They said, he's old enough, let him answer for himself. Thanks, mom and dad. (laughs) You answer for yourself. So so he says, uh, what do you guys want to be his followers too? I like the blind man now can see. You want to be his followers too? He starts poking him. He said, I don't know. I just know he was a prophet. We've gone from a man named Jesus to now he's a prophet. And then finally they kick him out of the synagogue. He gets a miracle and gets kicked out of the synagogue. He walks down a street and Jesus finds him. Jesus says, do you believe on the Son of God? And he says, Lord, I believe. End of the story. Okay, so, so the ancient church fathers looked at this as a progressive way of coming to faith. He saw him as a man, saw him as a prophet, received him as the Son of God, and really saw who he was. It's typified in John with his spiritual heaven and earth thing he works all the time. It's typified by this guy receiving sight. But at the end, it's the Pharisees who are blind. And it's this poor little blind man that now can see. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Why do I say that? Maybe you've been taught something religiously. Maybe you've had certain things slammed on you. I don't know. Maybe you were raised in a real uh, legalistic environment. I'm telling you what, the real Jesus is here to set you free. The real Jesus comes to bring liberty. The real Jesus will meet you on the back street outside the church and say, do you believe on the Son of God? Come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, there's freedom in this house right now. Come on, everybody standing with me. There's freedom in this house. Lord, we give you praise. Come on, hands uplifted. Lord, we give you thanks. We give you praise for who you are today, God. And I give you thanks, Lord. Lord, I just give you thanks, first of all, for all the parents in here and grandparents who have to give answers to their kids, give answers to their grandkids. I thank you, Lord, for lighting them up and giving them wisdom, giving them understanding, giving them the truth of your word today. Number two, Lord, for those who have been struggling with what they feel is gender dysphoria, I pray for them. I pray the grace of God on their lives and I pray the love of Jesus touches them today and ministers to them right where they are, Father. Right where they are. And I give you praise. Even if it's someone in this room right now, Father, we just pray, Holy Spirit, have your way. Have your way. Have your way. In Jesus' name, we open up our hearts. Come on, lift your hands like as a sign of surrender. You just say, Jesus, I open up my heart to you right now. I open up my heart to you right now and I receive you. I receive what you want to do in my life. Lord Jesus, come right now. Do everything you want to do in me. Lord, if there be any way that's in me that's not like you, replace it with yourself. Lord, search my heart. Like the psalmist prayed, Lord, search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. God, I want to be right. And God, I pray maybe some of you have family or friends who are dealing with this, Lord, I pray you give my brothers and sisters the words of grace, the words of truth to be able to speak in Jesus' name. 
Hey, I'm Hans Hess. Thank you so much for watching today, and I just pray that this service has been a great blessing to you. Listen, many of you out there have needs. You have needs physically. You want healing in your body, or you have uh, oppression or anxiety you're dealing with, or, or the weight of an addiction or sin in your life. Whatever the issue is, you know, Jesus can handle it. And I want to pray for you today before we leave here and just believe God for the best in your life. You're a winner in Christ. I've read the end of the book and we win in the end. So pray with me this brief prayer. Come on, mean it with all of your heart. Father, in Jesus' name, forgive me of all my sin and wash it away. Heal my body. Touch my mind, Lord. Bring total freedom to me today, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray. And if you said that, you can say amen. And you know what? Each time a sports team wins a victory, they always have a celebration. So why don't go ahead right where you are and just thank God and give God some praise. Thanks for joining us. Stay in contact with us and uh, come back and visit us.